0: from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready
1: for the August premiere. What's up, roto
2: Welcome back to RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz, joined by the Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. As promised, we have a special guest for this week's episode. He's the creator of Player Profiler. You know him as the Pod Father, Fantasy Mansion. He goes by a lot of names, but it's time to welcome back to the show Matt Kelly. Matt, how are you?
1: Happy to be here. Woo! Yeah, fantasy football season. Does anyone care about fantasy football at this point? Anyone out there? Maybe. Let's go. Let's talk some fantasy.
2: Uh Matt Friedman, you're still here. How are you how are you feeling about this?
0: Uh it's going to be fantastic. Um I've never met anyone. First of all, I've never actually met Matt Kelly in person, which, which is, I feel pretty amazing. Um, for, for someone I, uh, love and hate as much as him, uh, for never to meet him in person. It's just kind of amazing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so much I emotion. Mean, you're, you're certainly not normal. I can, I can say that, uh, whatever you do, it's certainly not what I would have expected. Would you expect um, so- this? It's a duck call. I, I know that there are going to be noises. Uh, most of the time, it's just you talking, but uh, sometimes there will be other noises too. Yeah, those are just and, noises. Uh, That's it, right. It, it yeah, all, those are just it noises. It all sounds
1: the same. Just background noise, background radiation. That's really me talking.
2: All right, so I have I have two goals for this podcast. Um, one of which I think I can hit. The second one's not going to happen. The first one is to try to keep you guys on task, which I think we all know is impossible. The second one is to manufacture an argument between the two of you, which I think should be very easy. Mm. Um, we're already going to go off the show sheet though, so this is the first thing I want st- to want to start off with today, talking to you guys about is wide receiver deep. I posted something about this today on Twitter, got a lot of pushback by someone. My premise here, or what I had said that they pushed back on, was that in the current structure of today's NFL, I find it interesting that people will push back, some fantasy gamers, on the idea that uh, wide receiver isn't deep, but they'll also talk about how, now that we have so many teams running three and four wide receiver sets, that, you know, that depresses the value of the wide receiver position in comparison to running back. And I would say that that kind of supports my premise That wide receiver isn't particularly deep because we're seeing few players at the ultimate top put up, you know, point totals like they would have in 2015. And then naturally the tier below them is going to fall down as well. So there's a little bit of a challenge here in defining exactly what we mean by deep. But I'll throw this to you guys. You know, what does that mean to you when we're talking about positions being deep? And is wide
1: receiver actually deep in 2020? Yeah, it just depends on what you're talking about. If you want points to be scored, then it's not deep. It's less deep that the wide receiver one tier is shallow at this point. It used to be deep and now it's more shallow. All fantasy relevant wide receivers. There's a bigger pool to pluck from to find a fantasy relevant wide receiver X. So there's more candidates for the wide receiver 36 position, for example, but there are fewer candidates for the wide receiver one position. So you could look at that as depth. Or you could look at that as like a slow deterioration of the position's relative relevance and relative power to win championships. A couple different ways to look at it.
0: Yeah, I like that. I mean, essentially what Manchin is describing is breadth, not depth. And uh, I think that's probably an accurate way of looking at the position where You can find a lot of guys late uh, in the draft who do have the potential of maybe breaking into a a low end wide receiver two type of season, but not all that many guys available who really look like, you know, locked in wide receiver ones.
2: Yeah, completely.
1: And I would argue that it's hard to find those wide receiver ones because the position itself is volatile, especially week to week. And mm-hmm. it's not as stable as it used to be either. I mean, just last year, the epic busts just in the first couple rounds with Odell and Juju and Devontae Adams missed half the season. It was a problem. Like, it's not that easy to find who is going to be that guy. I mean, you could go back, you know, with uh, hindsight and say, oh, you just got to get Michael Thomas. Well, Michael Thomas wasn't a top three receiver pick last year, right? You could get him in the early second round. So if we knew what Michael Thomas was, he would have been the second pick overall. But we didn't know. And it may be even harder this year. It's harder and harder to find those guys as the target shares assigned to wide receivers continue to decline across the league and the running back target shares are rising.
0: You know what, Manchin, I want to, I want to push back a little bit, or at least look at this from the other side of it. So I'll look at someone like Juju and then someone like Terry McLaurin, even I'd say, you know, Cortland Sutton, uh, you know, DJ Moore is available cheaper. Someone Mm. like Will Fuller, who's going as a wide receiver 30. Mm. And I think even if you don't say that the group as a whole is deep, there are these little, like these, these loci of depth, right? Like I would that's not the best way I could have phrased it, but you get what I'm saying. Like like you can you can find receivers available in the wide receiver two range, the wide receiver three range who do have a legitimate shot at finishing top twelve in the position. And so like I wouldn't say that means that throughout the entire position there's great depth, but you can still find sufficient value where you need to.
1: Yeah, because it's a small sample position. These guys get at most 175 targets, that's on the highest possible end. So what can happen with those targets really depends on the defenses you're facing, the accuracy of the quarterback. So your output varies from year to year. That's why wide receiver production year to year oscillates so much. And guys move up from the wide receiver two ranks into the wide receiver one ranks, then they fall back down. So our challenge is to find who are those wide receiver twos with that wide receiver one upside. That's one of our primary responsibilities as fantasy analysts. And when you talk about Will Fuller, you talk about Cortland Sutton, you talk about Terry McLaurin, you talk about Devontae Parker, you talk about Marquise Brown, you talk about DJ Chark, you're talking about guys that even Robert Woods, available in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth rounds that could move up into that wide receiver one tier fairly easily because it's not like they have to get past Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. They just have to get past the wide receiver 12. And when Mike Evans is putting up 17.5 fantasy points per game and he's your number five wide receiver last year, it's a low bar, bro. It's a low bar.
2: It's now time for today's FFPC stat attack And we are going to talk about Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, two receivers that Friedman and Fantasy Mansion have had a number of debates about. Uh, We are looking at the range of outcomes app. Within it, Mike Evans for 2020 is projected with an average PPR score of 15.9, Godwin with 15.6. If we look at their low projections, you have Evans at 13.2, Godwin at 12.5. Their highs put Evans at 18 and Godwin at 18.1. So pretty similar ranges of outcomes for the duo in 2020. Of course, we will have to see exactly what that Tampa Bay team looks like. As a reminder, the FFPC is home to some of the absolute best leagues in the fantasy football industry. It is your go-to resource for redraft dynasty they have so many contests fantastic league drafting software and team management tools that you definitely need to do yourself a favor and go check out the ffpc to play visit myffpc.com that's myffpc.com your ultimate stop for season-long high stakes fantasy football
0: by the way, I just want to say congratulations on making it uh, almost eight minutes into the show before bringing up Mike Evans.
1: Well done! It's just a quintessential example of now what is essentially the replacement level WR one, <laughs> right? He's a, the fact that he put up seventeen plus fantasy points a game, and he was the number five wide receiver in fantasy is really all you need to know for you know trying to engineer your draft strategy that you weren't happy selecting mike evans and mike evans is like the most he has been the most consistent producer at the wide receiver position it's not even close it's just like a metronome every year thousand yard season like it's just him and randy moss that had the most thousand yard seasons consecutively to start to start their career and yet you draft mike evans in the third round last year you weren't happy Probably should have taken a, a shot on Aaron Jones. That would have been a better move. Probably should have gone with the Derrick Henry. That would have been a better move. And we're talking about Mike Evans. like The guy that you could write in ink is going to be a wide receiver one. And he was a wide receiver one. A fairly high-end wide receiver one. And it didn't matter. He didn't help your fantasy team.
0: All right, this right. I'm taking us further off the show sheet. Mike Evans this year, I think he underperforms his ADP. And uh, I, I say this as someone, and obviously... Manchin you know this, someone last year who was very much in on Mike Evans. And this doesn't mean I think Evans is necessarily a bad pick this year because I think he has a high floor, but I think he has a really significant chance of underperforming his ADP because I expect fewer receiving yards to go around that entire offense, fewer receiving touchdowns. And then also, you have Gronk coming in and he's going to get his share of receiving touchdowns. So I think there's just, there are going to be fewer touchdowns, fewer yards for Mike Evans this year.
1: It's a massive shift in context for Mike Evans. And it's not just the new quarterback. Yes, he has a more accurate quarterback, but a quarterback that's likely going to throw less. And the big change is the defense. The defense is good. They were the number 1 run defense last yeah. year. They have a bunch of young corners who are going to get better. They got rid of the the, the, the most egregious offenders in that secondary I traded one to the Texans last year, and, and, but they've been investing second round picks, second round draft capital in particular in the secondary. So the defense is going to be better. It's one of the best fantasy defenses to get. Like in best ball, I'm, I'm gunning for that Buccaneers defense because you have a like a ferocious front seven going up against offenses that have to throw the ball to be competitive with Tom Brady and that Buccaneers offense. So it plays right into the hands of the defensive coordinator, and you're going to see a lot of turnovers by the Bucks defense, probably a, a bunch of touchdowns, a bunch of pick sixes and fumble return touchdowns, because they're going to put offenses in uncomfortable situations down 10 in the fourth quarter, boom, that's when you get your, your pick six. So love the Buccaneers defense, and if you know the Buccaneers defense is coming, and you know that the team is going to be good, and you know that in general, the offense is going to be more efficient, it counterintuitively means that not all the wide receivers are going to be able to eat. So you got to pick who you're going to bet on. Maybe maybe the play is to look at all the improvements on defense and on the offensive line, Tristan Wirfs. We know Ali Marpet's one of the best run-blocking guards. Maybe you bet on the running game, or maybe you bet on the undervalued assets like the Rob Gronkowski's And you don't try to figure out which of Chris Godwin versus Mike Evans is going to be the target leader, because I think they both underperform their ADP because there's just there's not enough pass attempts to support the ADPs of all these Buccaneers weapons. Just it's not possible.
0: I, I agree completely on Godwin and Evans. I love I do Godwin. Think they both underperform. Godwin, yeah. What are you
1: kidding me? Yeah, I love Godwin, but I'm not drafting him
0: this year in seasonal right. leagues.
1: Gross.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's a weird situation where I think they actually both hit
1: a thousand yards once again. Very efficient. Yet they
0: both, and yet they both underperform. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mike Evans is going to have a career year in terms of just being effective as a football player, and he's a fade in fantasy. So. With
2: that behind us, I do want to take a minute here to remind our listeners about FanDraft, which is the ultimate online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. You want to get your league mates energized and excited about getting back into the swing of things? This is how you do it. It can be used offline for in-person drafts, export the display via a projector, put it up on a large screen TV. It will be absolutely awesome. Make you feel like your draft is in the NFL draft. Of course, you can also use it fully online. Any number of league owners can join the draft remotely. So you don't have to worry about any of the logistics there. You can handle it all with Fan Draft. You can perform both traditional and and auction style drafts FanDraft also supports idps rookie only drafts keepers and just about any customization you can think of to meet your league requirements you can sign up for a free trial account at fandraft.com please go check it out you're gonna want to order the pro account and when you do make sure that you use the promo code rotoviz Fifteen to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's Fandraft.com. It's how you're going to get your league off to a tremendous start in 2020. Get everybody really enthusiastic and energized for this coming fantasy season. And when you go to Fandraft.com, you're going to use the promo code rotoviz 15 to save 15%. All right. So you mentioned Chris Godwin. I have heard you, uh, Manchin, having some pushback on Calvin Ridley this year any idea that he could be this year's Chris Godwin. Now, well, yeah, I don't think that I'm going to sit here and say that he's going to be this year's Chris Godwin. I don't see you know, a ceiling like what Godwin would have done last year. But if we remove that from the conversation, how are you feeling about Calvin Ridley?
1: Well, he's no longer a fifth-round pick. So Chris Godwin was a fifth-round pick all last summer. Maybe in a handful of very late expert drafts, he was going in the fourth round by the very end of the summer. But he's a fifth-rounder. Calvin Ridley's not a fifth-rounder. He's a fourth-rounder, and it's only going up the more podcasts that it's talked about as Calvin Ridley is the next Chris Godwin. I know that Sean Kerner believes that. I know that Evan Silva believes that. Smart people that I trust, some of the smartest people in this industry, think that he's the next Chris Godwin. It's just you can't get him where you could get Godwin last year. So the point is now largely moot. If I were to go into the fifth round, I think there's a wide receiver that has more Chris Godwin traits and is actually teed up to be the number one in his offense that in an offense that I think will be in a lot of, uh, sort of retro Tampa Bay Buccaneers game scripts. So you look at DJ Chark, DJ Chark has a Chris Godwin level explosiveness He's great before the catch. He's great after the catch. So he's a monster at the catch point, but then he's also breaking tackles once he has the ball in his hands. This is the thing that Calvin Ridley cannot do. This is the thing that Calvin Ridley is he's a catch and fall down wide receiver. He was always at the top 70 in yards after the catch last year. He is what he is. He works very hard on the outside to get open. He does get open. He catches the ball. He might or may not, may not get a first down. And then he falls down, and that's Calvin. Ridley. That's not Chris Godwin. Even though Calvin Ridley physically looks closer to Chris Godwin, I think that Chris Godwin's playing style is actually more similar to DJ Chark. And DJ Chark is going to be on a team that has to throw a lot to be competitive, just like the Buccaneers last year. So I think that really it's DJ Chark that's teed up to be that 20 fantasy points a game-wide receiver that we're looking for in the fifth round, one of these guys is going to be that guy, right? We had two receivers. Two! They scored 20 or more fantasy points per game last year. It was Godwin and Michael Thomas. It's going to be, you know, maybe this year the Michael Thomas position will be filled by Devontae Adams. That would be my bet, just based on the law of the conservation of targets. We're going to use it against Mike Evans. You're going to use it against Mike Evans. You have to use it to propel and move up Devontae Adams because there's very little target competition in Green Bay. Now you get a dip into the fifth round. Who's that guy in the fifth round? I'm saying it's DJ Chark. I I actually, I'm higher on Ridley than I want
0: to be. And uh, I kind of don't like saying that. My projections for him uh, put him in the top 10. I don't have him necessarily ranked there because I think there are guys who have higher upside, but it it honestly has to do more with that entire Atlanta offense and less to do with what I think of Ridley as a talent. And it's not to take anything away from him as a talent, but Manchin is totally right. He's not Godwin, like at all, at all, in, in his right? style of his style of play, his athletic capabilities, anything like that. Like, but he is a very good wide receiver, and he's going to play in an Atlanta offense that, at this point, right? No, Muhammad Sanu, no Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst is going to come in, and he'll play something of the Austin Hooper role, but he probably won't play it as well. No, this offense is still going to be fast paced. They're still going to be throwing the ball a lot. So that just means a ton of opportunities for Calvin Ridley. So, so gross. It's so
1: gross. You know, you're right, so given, but it's just so given gross. that.
0: You know, given that it's gross. I think he's a, a top ten wide receiver, oh. but you know, it's not. It's not as if uh, I still think he's going to to lead the league in receiving
1: or something like that. I don't think he has that Godwin type of upside. It's just so painful. It's so painful to talk about a guy and put him in the top 10 based solely on situation when he only commanded a 17.7% target share last year. That was number 55 in the league. If targets are earned, why wasn't he earning a greater share? And oh, the signature efficiency metric that everyone's talking about this year is yards per pass route, yards per route run. He was outside the top 45. So on the opportunity side of the ledger, he's not impressive. On the efficiency side of the ledger, he's not impressive. He just happens to be on an offense that threw the ball more than any other offense in the league last year, and that it's not going to change. The division added Tom Brady, for Christ's sake. The division added Teddy Bridgewater, for Christ's sake. It was Kyle Allen last year. They're going to have to throw the ball even more this year. So it all equates and points to Calvin Ridley being yeah, at least a top 15 receiver, and it's just so painful. Like it it hurts me. It hurts me, And, and there's absolutely no way that I'm drafting a receiver that I know to be not special that early. Like no matter what the projections spit out, I refuse to do it. I just refuse to do it. I won't do it. I won't. I just won't do it because he may find a way to fail that we've never seen. So,
2: a couple of thoughts on that, though, right? Like this 17% target share, we can throw that out and that is low, but. That does not. That's a little misleading, right, because it would still be a situation of you're looking at the overall targets, as Matt talked about or Freeman talked about, right? We can expect a decent play volume. I will grant you, though, so last season expected points per game only ranked in at 28. So I see what you're saying about there not being this locked in type of potential for him to put him into that type of Godwin situation. Um, I want to get your take on this, though, also, right? I know that yards after the catch, right, 2.2 last season per game or per, per reception, right, was the average for Ridley. So if we told you, though, that you could expect like 150 targets for Ridley, would that change your opinion or is that still going to be something that bothers you?
1: If he's going to get 150 targets, then yep. he is you know he's going to be a 15 fantasy points per game wide receiver. That's what that was number 18 in the league last year. He was good last year and he and that he went out there and he did Calvin Ridley things. And things aren't that much different this year. Like Todd Gurley is a better receiver out of the backfield than they had last year. Hayden Hurst is an inferior receiver to Austin Hooper. The offensive line is a lot better. How that affects the running game, maybe the running game's more effective. Maybe the defense is more effective. It can't be worse. So there are some situational things that could work against him that are not yep. baked into the projections. And and this is the problem. When something happens that is unexpected, the special receivers will rise up and produce anyway. But with Ridley, the unexpected could be Julio Jones going down and then... It's gonna be impossible for him not to meet expectations. Just based on the law of the conservation of targets. So my thing is, if I'm I'm gonna stack with Matt Ryan, like in a best ball tournament on underdog, for example, I'd rather go Julio Jones and then Matt Ryan and then Russell Gage much later, because you know, I think Ridley would succeed in the slot, but they don't have another outside receiver. So he's forced to play outside. I I think he's out of position outside. I don't think he thrives out there. I think that he would be great in the slot. He'd actually be better at yards after the catch because he would have slot corners on him and have more more space underneath to get a running start. (laughs) Right. And he'd be better after the catch. But what the reason why his yards after the catch is so bad is because he played primarily on the outside last year. And Russell Gage plays a slot. And Russell Gage is technically more explosive than Ridley, just based on the burst score on playerprofiler.com. And if you want to make a situation-only play, like I like Julio Jones because, hello, he is really special, right? So if you want to take the guy in the great situation that's special, just, just, just go Julio Jones. And if you want to create a, a double stack of some kind with the Falcons – You can get Gage in the final rounds. I prefer that because he's going to get at least a 60% snap share. And I don't think that there's this chasm of difference between Gage and Ridley. Ridley's a great route runner, man. He's a technician. He's one of the better route runners in the league. I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that. And I think he's maxing out at 15 fantasy points a game. What a great route runner without a lot of other qualities can do. Manchin, uh, a couple things. One, I have to push
0: back just a little because even though I'm not a Ridley truther by any means it is egregious to say that he's he's all that close to
1: Russell Gage that's just that's flat out wrong I'd like to see what Russell Gage is going to do this year Russell Gage is going to have a a close to a full-time role because they play so many three wide receiver sets in Atlanta he is the starting slot receiver, and we're always chasing the slot receivers on these teams, right? Oh, God, going to play a slot. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God, this is amazing. Oh, Russell Gage is in the slot. Meh. Nah. Meh. Nah. Don't care. Now, he wasn't efficient last year. I get it. No, very low efficiency. Not good. His yards per route run, 1.5, number 80 in the league. Understood. Okay? But when he was on the field, he was targeted. Look at targets per snap, 15, 16.5% for Russell Gage. That was number 10 in the league. He just didn't get the touchdowns. That's They all went to Calvin Ridley with the 10 plus percent touchdown rate. Good for him. Well, just,
0: okay. So one, that's just egregious, but whatever. Two, Julio Jones, you mentioned Julio Jones. Uh, I want to get your expanded thoughts on him. Uh, if you look at just what he's done, not even you know looking at advanced metrics, just look at the yards of what he's done over the past 6 years, uh the past 6 years in which he's actually, you know, been healthy on the field 14 to 16 games over 1400 yards in all of those games and all those seasons mm-hmm. except for last year when he had 1394. So, oh, pretty much this yards. guy this guy has been as close to a lock to 1400 yards as you could get over the past half decade plus um are people too low on him you know like he's not going you know as the number one guy that's Michael Thomas he's often not going number two number three number four you know like he's going maybe at the earliest as the wide receiver four but often more wide receiver five or wide receiver six that just seems far too low for a guy who's done what he's done over the past half decade
1: did Julio Jones turned 34 and I missed it. Did I not get the alert on Facebook? Not that I'm on Facebook, but doesn't Facebook have like birthday alerts or something? Help me out. Sure. Yes, they do. So Facebook has, you know, assuming that Julio and I are friends, I would have thought I would have got the alert on Facebook that Julio Jones turned 34 and that he's past the cliff. I would have thought that would happen, but that has not happen, man. I compare him to Andre Johnson. I think there's some similarities there. He plays more above the defense than Andre Johnson did. But Andre Johnson, big, muscular, explosive, 220 pounds, can run you over, can jump over you, all those things. You know what Andre Johnson did at age 31 for an up-tempo Houston Texans team with a quarterback that wasn't close to Matt Ryan, 1,598 yards. Close to 1,600 yards in his age 31 season. 162 targets, 112 receptions. And in that season, only four touchdowns. So this is, again, why there's similarities. Where Why wasn't Andre Johnson scoring more touchdowns? I don't know. Why doesn't Julio Jones score more touchdowns? I don't know. It's just how their statistics have played out throughout their career. So I like Julio Jones. If I'm going to take a a wide receiver at the end of the second round, and I'm typically going running back, so I don't have to worry about it, but if I'm going to go a wide receiver, it's going to be Julio Jones. Absolutely. I mean, take him over uh, DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is switching teams. DeAndre Hopkins is the ultimate sucker play this year because we have no idea what the context is around him and and that team and what the target share is going to look like we are certain we know what julio jones is on the falcons and he's not at a cliff yet just like aj green he's not at a cliff yet i didn't get the memo that these guys are in their mid-30s they're not yet you can still get a good year out of them
2: all right um
0: so that is his take Do you agree with that yeah, I mean, obviously I agree. I'm the I'm one taking I'm Julio the Jones at his ADP
1: before I'm taking Calvin Ridley at his ADP. Child, please.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Julio's going to crush. I think he leads the, the league in receiving yards. It wouldn't surprise if he actually led the league overall in fantasy points. And what if you he know, has like, finally that, that, position? that,
1: that uh, elusive 10-touchdown season, right? That's why we talk about stacking wide receivers and quarterbacks – in these best ball tournaments. And in best ball tournaments. You don't want to go as heavy. On robust RB. You want to to dabble. Into the highest end. Uh, boom week Wide receivers. So if you go. Let's say. Uh, a McCaffrey or a Barkley. Or a Camara early. You can absolutely go Leo Jones. In round two. Especially in a tournament. Knowing that. It's straightforward to get Matt Ryan. As soon as the big six go off the board and you see Josh Allen get drafted, you push the button on Matt Ryan. It's straightforward. You can go Hayden Hurst if you're into that kind of thing, or you can go Russell Gage to make sure you get at least a double stack at the end of the draft. It's so easy. It's very straightforward stack on one of the best offenses to stack in the league. And the Matt Ryan-Julio Jones correlation is going to be powerful. It's 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 hard to find a better value quarterback wide receiver stack for tournaments than Ryan and Julio. Like, would you rather have Adams and Rodgers or Julio and Ryan? Easily, Julio and Ryan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Dave, no, Dave. Dave get... Would you rather have Thomas and and Breeze or would you rather have Julio and Ryan?
2: I actually think I'd probably rather have Thomas and Breeze.
1: At ADP? No, because to get Thomas, then you also, a, you I preclude Julio's, you from getting like a, a Miles Sanders.
2: Yeah, that's that. Eh, that's true. I don't know if I see myself though to actually take. I'd take Thomas over over Sanders in round one. To be honest, the only backs I'm drafting in round one are Kamara, Cook, Elliott, Barkley, McCaffrey, maybe Ceh.
1: Well, well, then, um, well then Cook. Then, well, then, it would preclude you from getting Dalvin Cook because Cook I, and Thomas have the same ADP.
2: Okay. Well, th- this would depend someone in the league. but i, I was putting the ADPs though, so, in context, man. <laughs> as far as, though, as Julio versus the other receivers go, which is really where this point comes from, for me, I actually think that Julio's probably my second or third. Like, for me, it's I do have Thomas at, at the first spot. You might say that the odds of him doing what he did last year aren't really that great. That's fine. I still have him at the one, given his relationship with Breeze and the target volume that I expect. Uh, as far, though, as Julio and the rest of these receivers go... I see so much potential for him, and as Matt said, he's done it time and time again, so I'm not going to give any pushback on really liking Julio. It's just that Thomas and Breeze. But Ryan's he's going later
1: out. than he should also. I mean, the, the Ryan ADP yeah. is inefficient. He's going at least a round after he should be going. Like, What am I missing? There's just something about certain players that feel boring that... It it actually negatively impacts their ADP. It actually does. Matt Ryan's a classic example of a guy where if he had purple hair or he said anything interesting, he would be around. He'd go around earlier in fantasy football. I'm convinced of this.
2: Matt Ryan, though, in FFPC uh, leagues has an ADP of quarterback seven to Drew Brees' quarterback eleven. Um, Not that that would necessarily change your decision that much, but I do think that is something that would uh, be a pro for the Drew Brees, Michael Thomas side of the equation. But I do want to press along here, though. So we will be back in a couple of minutes, where we're going to take a break to hear from our sponsors for this episode. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragon percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler. And these fillers are potentially toxic. Theron1 tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic grown in the US and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's One's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift you into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com forward slash blue wire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again buy one get one free at theragun.com slash blue wire but only until labor day go right now to theragun.com slash blue wire Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back to the NFL with NFL TV. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV TV fantasy zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players no matter where you live nflsundayticket.tv is your key to the most glorious sundays ever use the promo code blue wire at checkout to get 15 percent off your subscription visit nflsundayticket.tv and use the promo code blue wire a player that i've gotten a fair amount of questions this year on is hunter renfro um what, what? does healing look like what what
0: why are people asking
2: about this, Hunter Renfro this feels I, I, like I, a will, explain I, don't why. I will explain why it's because he was omitted from the range of outcomes app when I first put it out uh, so I had to like put him in later but a lot of people were curious about that range of outcomes so I think it, it speaks to the fact that there is an interest in Renfro um in that Raiders receiving game. Now, there's the interesting piece of it of uh, there's mentions of perhaps with Jason Witten there, uh, the addition Mm. of Henry Ruggs. You have Renfro, perhaps that could take away from Darren Waller's opportunity, which we can also talk about. But first, let's focus here on Hunter Renfro.
1: Yeah, Hunter Renfro had a similar target share to Calvin Ridley (laughs) as a rookie. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it, man. Yeah, I like Hunter Renfro. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want Hunter Renfro in a traditional league. Right? He doesn't have a high ceiling. But in best ball, to make sure you're not taking zeros and you're at least getting 10 points in some of the the more meager weeks, I think Hunter Renfro is great. Because he does have, like, he has a two-touchdown game in him, I'm sure. And he's a guy that's going to offer a nice floor. I mean, look at last year. I mean, he finished the season with two consecutive 22-point games. So this guy came on incredibly strong. And typically, typically, we gravitate to these players that finish so strong. And all they're competing with is rookies. But, oh, no, 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 no. This is Henry Ruggs we're talking about. And Henry Ruggs is going to steal his job. They're going to put Henry Ruggs in the slot, right? Like, this is just absurd a throwaway remark by a general manager gets it so convoluted and 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 so uh, uh, misused and mischaracterized that it ends up going through this machine and at the end of the assembly line it you know people are pulling back on Hunter Renfro and they're inserting Henry Ruggs into the slot and it's like wait 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 what are you doing wait stop it They're going to get like 12 practices in before the start of the season. Okay. I don't care if you think they're going to run a lot of three tight end sets, whatever. Hunter Renfro is going to be out there, guys. He earned it last year. It's over. Like, what am I missing? All right. Um. I well, you you were
2: breaking up there, so it sounds like it's sa- what I took away from that. You might be. I got something about an assembly line, and then it sounded like you ended up positively on Hunter Renfro.
1: Yes, I like Hunter Renfro.
0: Okay, Freeman, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, uh, Kelly, oh, I think are he's you? Muted. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Sorry, I've gone back and forth with Chris Raybon on this on the uh, the podcast and the the Sirius show. Uh, I'm a little more interested in Hunter Renfro than I think most people are. And I guess I'm, I'm leaning more towards uh, Man- Manchin's side on this. So Renfro last year, uh, in his eight games after the bye week, had 504 yards receiving and four touchdowns. And not to say you just simply extrapolate that over a 16-game sample, but you know in his eight games after the bye, he did pretty well, especially for a guy who was just coming in as a rookie who wasn't really expected to do much um and I, you have to look at it on his efficiency it was pretty good you know 2.1 yards per route run last year as a rookie that's really good the question is always going to be volume is he going to have the opportunities now that Ruggs is there you have Brian Edwards the ghost of Jason Witten coming in and getting more targets than he should but Ruggs uh, I don't know, Ruggs is intriguing, but I don't think he's going to be a massive target hog within that offense. I think Renfro is still going to get his opportunities.
1: Yeah, the, the, Renfro is the classic guy that when you're building assumptions around your projections, he's the guy that's just easy to cannibalize. Oh, we want to give targets to, to Waller, we'll take him away from Renfro. Oh, we want to give some targets to, to Edwards, oh, let's take him away from Renfro, right? It's like, no. No, guess what? Renfro and Tyrell Williams are gonna be out there. Right? Ruggs is gonna get his some snaps, right? He's gonna he's gonna be out there and stretching the field on occasion, right? But I also remember Tyree Kill's first year in the league. He was a situational guy that was scoring points on special teams. Like Matthew Friedman came on the show on the Roto Underworld Radio program. And talk about playing Tyreek Hill in his rookie season in GPPs just for the special teams touchdowns, right? I think that Henry Ruggs is going to disappoint in seasonal leagues. I think that everyone that's projecting Ruggs and Edwards to be relevant is going to be disappointed because there's going to be so many routes run by Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro, and it's just not going to be nearly the exciting offense that you're hoping for. I mean... I know you want it to be 2021, right, and for Edwards to be established and Ruggs to have a role that can be counted on, but it's not. It's still 2020, and until 2020 is over, guys like Renfro are going to be productive. All right, so um, another thing that we wanted to get your take on,
2: some of these rookie wide receivers. I can't believe you brought
1: me on here for Renfro talk. I
2: can't believe it. It's what the people want, Matt. It's what the people want. Um, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, LaVisca Chenault. Which receiver has the best rookie season, and then across
1: the next three years, who do you want? It's got to be Rager, right? Am I missing something with Rager? Look at the offense that he's on. This is an offense that actually needs him. So Alshon Jeffrey is assumed to start the season on the pop. Deshaun Jackson has played five quarters recently. Right, it's just Jalen Rager is impressing in camp. Right, you. It's not that you make decisions because the coaches are talking a player, uh, talking positively about a player after practice, but it confirms what you're what you're thinking. Right, if you're thinking, okay, Jalen Rager is a number one pick. He has incredible speed and burst. I mean, a one forty point four ninety eighth percentile burst score. He's not comparable to anybody. Like we haven't seen a prospect that looks like him ever. He's super explosive, and he was very. Pro- I mean, look at look how productive he was in college, in, in that in that that critical sophomore season. Thirty three percent target share. That's the way he was able to get over a thousand yards on an anemic TCU offense with some of the worst quarterback play in college football. You put Jalen Rager on Alabama, and you know, he dwarfs rugs and Judy. He's just a better football player. I think it's CeeDee Lamb, I think it's Jalen Rager. I think they're the class of the class in terms of just the, the best football players. And then you drop that guy onto the Eagles, where he could very quickly be operating as the number one wide receiver on the outside. I mean it's all lining up for him. It's very different. It's a, just a very different situation. Than you have in Las Vegas with Henry Ruggs, where you know Tyrell Williams not starting the season on the pop. Fantasy gamers don't like Tyrell Williams, but that doesn't mean he's not on the roster. You can't just wish him off the roster. Alshon Jeffrey's not gonna play. That's the difference. Right? If it were switched and Tyrell Williams were in Philadelphia and Alshon was in Las Vegas, I would like Ruggs more and Rager less because Rager would get less snaps and targets and Ruggs would get more snaps and targets on a more prolific offense with a weaker wide receiver room with less healthy wide receivers. It's just that simple.
0: I'm on, just to, to add on to this, I'm on Rager for year one, and I actually think he he does have a comp. And the guy I compared him to before the draft was Jeremy Macklin with less production? Mm. Uh, they're actually pretty comparable in terms of their their height, their weight, their athleticism, uh, similar age, entering the league, uh, and you know, like Macklin, Rager got his production at TCU in a variety of ways, uh, and I think Rager is going to have a a pretty immediate impact, long term for the three year horizon. I prefer Chenault. Um, because he's just, I think he's at another level. He has the size. He has the athleticism, like just ignore what he did at the combine. If, but if you actually want to pay attention to it, he was injured. But if you want to look at the numbers, look at it this way. He's similar height to Devonte Adams, similar speed in his 40 time to what we saw out of Devonte Adams, but he has 15 extra pounds of muscle. Like he's certainly still athletic enough to be able to compete in the NFL. Um, But he has, in addition to his athleticism, and in addition to his receiving ability, which, by the way, I'll, I'll talk about in a second, his receiving ability should not be underrated. He also has this other aspect of being able to run. Like, I think he could legitimately get the Corderell Patterson treatment as a runner, even though he's a wide receiver, where he gets maybe two to three carries per game. But LaVisca Chenault just looking at him as a wide receiver, he had a better success rate against man coverage in college than all of the other best wide receivers in this class. He had a 62% success rate versus man coverage. That's better than CD lamb who had a 58% better than Jerry Judy had a 53% better than Justin Jefferson who had a 55% like Chennault was in a tier of his own above these other guys. And if you look on a per route basis, He had 3.5 yards per route in his two seasons as a key contributor in his offense. CeeDee Lamb had 3.5. Jerry Judy had 3.4. Chenault is very much up there as a receiver with the top guys in this class. And I think as an athlete, and then as a well-rounded playmaker who can get some action as a runner, I think he maybe exceeds those guys. So Chenault long-term out of these three, Rager, Justin Jefferson, and Chenault. Chenault is
1: the guy I want the most of long-term. And he was the best value in Dynasty rookie drafts by far. I thought the two best value wide receivers in rookie drafts were LaVisca Chenault and KJ Hamler. Because you could get Chenault in the late second, and you can get Hamler in the late third super Superflex. So... These are players that were second-round picks, but Chenault has the alpha receiver profile. If anyone's going to be A.J. Brown, like, yes, Macklin is a potential comp for Rager, but it's not necessarily that close. You could argue that Chenault and A.J. Brown are quite close because they had the... And, and, and there's also similarities to Chenault and Rager in their college production and that they had that dominant sophomore season, but you could argue that... Chenault's sophomore season was the most dominant because in only nine games, 110 targets, and he caught 86 passes. That's a 78% catch rate, man. And he's putting up over 1,000 yards. How is that possible? Because he's a yards-after-the-catch monster. That's why. And I want that guy. I absolutely want that guy. There are so very few. And one of the problems that we have with the wide receiver position is this lack of alphas. Now Jacksonville has Two alphas. In Chark and Chenault. I mean, if if you're in Superflex or two QB leagues in Dynasty, you need to go get Gardner Minshew. Think about Gardner Minshew with these two receivers. If he is productive this year and convinces the organization that he's the answer, then Gardner Minshew has the most upside at his Dynasty startup ADP. Of any quarterback for 2QB and Super Flex Dynasty Leagues. I couldn't really outdo you on the Chenault love, so I decided to pivot to Minshew.
2: Yeah, so of course, uh, yeah, I mean, Chenault, as you mentioned, AJ Brown, actually his closest comp in the um, box scores cut that we have. You also have behind him Juju Smith Schuster, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins. So easy to be extremely excited about Chenault, and actually Blair Andrews and I uh, last night in a FFPC league uh, were targeting Gardner Minshew. So even as early as this season in redraft, he makes for a decent uh, decent pick. So oh, to yeah. pivot away, oh, yeah.
1: to well, actually away you know in from- in if you're on if you're in one of these tournaments, right? If you're in one of these best ball GPPs as I call them. Well, think about it. You could easily go Shark. You can just guarantee to get Shark. Just just lock him in the fourth round. Make sure you get him. And then you know you can get Minshew later whenever you want to get Minshew. You can get Chenault wherever you want to get Chenault. And and, and that's a nice little double stack. And you can and, and if you want to add D.D. Westbrook whatever you want to do, man.
2: All right. So to pivot away here uh for a second, on this show we recently learned that Friedman drinks a high volume of coffee every day. However, it's decaf. So I want to know, does the Podfather drink coffee? If so, how many cups do you have in a day? And do you have a go-to
1: coffee? I drink coffee. I absolutely drink coffee. I drink between two and three cups a day. Once in a while, I'll drink one cup. But I try to get at least one cup in. I want one cup. But if if I work out hard in the morning, sometimes I only, only get to one cup. If I'm really grinding I have a bunch of tedious tasks to do heavy stats day stat grinding. that's a three cup of coffee <laughs> day. I drink it black and I drink half calf. but I have a place that I go to get okay. custom half calf. so I get the beans sent to me sealed uh, and I get to I get to choose what 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 the beans and then they and then they will. They will do the decaffeinating and, and and the packaging. It's very expensive.
2: Yeah, that sounds like it would be. All right, one more question here for you. Before we talk about uh, AJ Green, it looks to me as if you were somebody that had always wanted to be in sports radio of some standpoint, right? Did you have a favorite broadcaster, announcer, commentator when you were
1: growing up, somebody that you know you just always loved listening to? Dude, Marv Albert in the NBA is the yes. It was just Marv Albert doing NBA was the best. And uh, I'm trying to think, uh, uh, in, in college football had the best announcers, had much better announcers yep. than than pro football. So, uh, uh, uh Kurt Gowdy in baseball. Um, why am I what? You, you, who did, who did, was it Vern Lundquist, I think was, was one of the best college football announcers. Um, yeah. So yeah, you got, you, got, you got Vern Lundquist. Keith who, Jackson was pretty good. Keith, ja- yeah. Keith, Musburger. That, the, I was trying to think of Keith Jackson. You have, you have Musburger yeah. who, who's now just like a total dirt ball in Las Vegas, which is amazing. <laughs> so you have Musburger <laughs> and Keith Jackson and Lundquist it, with, with college football. Incredible. You've got you, you, yep. you had Marv Albert doing NBA on NBC, which was just extraordinary. So yeah, man, we got uh, some, uh, some but also, my my father's best friend in high school went on to become the voice of the Charlotte Hornets for many, many years. Oh wow. And so he, uh, you know, he was a, a local the local sports guy. Uh, he did, he announced like the, like the high school tournament, you know, the high school basketball tournament and he did all that. And he was the, on our, the local news, he was the, the, the sports guy on local news. And then he, and then the, then the, the expansion Charlotte Hornets were looking for a broadcaster to be the voice of the team and they hired him. So, you know, I, when I was, I don't know, seven, seven. When I wrote down yeah. what I wanted to be when I grew up, it was a, a broadcaster, so.
2: Nice, nice. So, yeah, so then you're, you're essentially doing that uh, in kind of like your own way now. Very
1: roundabout way. I mean, it wasn't yeah, until I was in nice. my late 30s that I actually started podcasting because, I mean, local radio is just not the answer, bro. But when you can podcast <laughs> out to the world, hell yeah, this is an amazing medium. Yeah, for sure. Um AJ Green, Friedman
2: has talked about him positively on by, this by show. By the way, sorry, yep.
0: Dave, I just want to interrupt here. Kelly, I just want to say, uh, you've you've come a long way from podcasting from a submarine. Uh <laughs> and you know, if I if I had to say I, I feel like maybe you started out at a two, but now you are around a ten. Oh, maybe more well, you started out you. at a three and you're at a nine. Compliment alert Compliment
1: alert. No. Oh, my battery's died. Oh, no. My battery's died on oh, my alert sounder. Hold on. I got a backup alert sounder. I got a backup alert sounder. I
2: got oh, a backup. God, Don't God. worry. Got I, got a backup. I got a backup.
1: Horn. I got a backup. Compliment alert. Oh, God. Oh, thank God I had a backup sounder. Woo. Close one. Close. Batteries died on sounder number one. Could have been tragic. All right. Matt, did you, or I, I guess I'll go with
2: Freeman since we have the two Matts, are, are, are you okay with us moving on to A.J. Green now? Oh, yeah, I'm good. All right. So we know that you talked about A.J. Green positively recently. I'm not quite that sold. Did we did we already talk about this live, or was this before we even started recording that Matt was going on the the quick little tangent on wide receivers in their 30s?
1: Uh, that came up in Julio Jones. Okay all right so scrap that.
0: There's um, no there's some
1: real ageism man. I'm tired of the ageism like running backs are washed at age 27 since when and I'm old enough to remember when running backs were productive out to age 29. I thought it was 29 and the cliff was 29 to 30. Now the cliff is is 25 years old now fournette's washed because he's 25. That you know, I gotta you know, I gotta trade Aaron Jones because he turned twenty five. They you know, wide receivers that turn thirty one are untouchable. You gotta sell those guys in dynasty. Uh, you know, I I, it, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm drafting AJ Green with confidence because the last time we saw AJ Green healthy, he was putting up fantasy WR one numbers, and you can get that guy in the eighth round. I mean, this is the reason, man. This is the reason why you go Robust RB, because you can get guys that we can pretty straightforwardly project to be WR1s, whether it be McLaurin, whether it be Chark, whether it be Devontae Parker, A.J. Green. It's just so straightforward to build a case that this wait, guy's is that, a WR1 that drafting a wide receiver in round two, round three, makes no fucking sense.
2: Wait, 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 wait. We need to revisit this. You had said something to the effect of that we can eat. Did you like? It sounded like you said easily project. I don't think that's what you actually said. But then you started talking about McLaurin and some of these other players. I don't think these are guys we can pencil in as wide receiver ones, unless I misunderstand. You know, no, but they
1: had no. When when we're building a range of outcomes, it's very yep. easy to see chark finishing as a top 10 receiver it's very easy to see mclaurin finishing as a top 10 receiver all we need is some nominal improvement at quarterback and knowing we're going to get the negative game script knowing we're going to get the targets knowing they have the explosive athleticism and aj green just got a quarterback upgrade aj green just got you know an offensive line that got back a bunch of starters to give his quarterback time to throw to the outside. Why not, A.J. Green? I just don't understand it. I just told you what Andre Johnson did at age 31. You know what Andre Johnson did at age 32? 1,400 yards and five touchdowns. So what's the problem? Because Andre Johnson's viewed as this guy who collapsed in his early 30s. Like he's the he is the shining example of wide receiver that collapsed in his early 30s. And yet I'm reading the stats. He didn't collapse until age 33, and AJ Green is 32. Like that th- that's not how age works. You can't just make up ages. That's not how. So- that's not how the age-adjusted production curve works. You can't just make it up as you go along. You can't just redraw the curve and say, oh, David Johnson's washed because he's 27. That's not how it works.
2: Well, David's, well David Johnson's washed because he's washed. But but hold on here. You were talking about robust running back, and then you start bringing up Chark and McLaurin. If you're going robust running back, I don't think that you're really going to be drafting those guys on many of your teams. Every single one. What are you talking about? How many wait, if you're going robust running back, how many rounds deep are you going running back?
1: Just on? draft just draft running back in the first three rounds. You get Miles Sanders, oh, first, and you, three. Get you, Chubb, and and you get Nick Chubb, and you get Leonard asking. Fournette. You just gotta get you just draft running backs until the R B one pool, the guys where RB ones are well within their range of outcomes. You just draft those guys until they're gone and then you go wide receiver because there are a lot more wide receivers. That have wide receiver one in their range of outcomes than there are running backs in the first 10 rounds. And then, sure, in the late rounds, you can also throw darts on wide receivers and running backs. Just because you go robust running back doesn't mean you can't also get Chase Edmonds and also get Duke Johnson and also get Jarek McKinnon. You can absolutely, you can get both. You can have it all. You just stay away from running backs in those dreaded middle rounds. That's all. That's a loose
2: interpretation of, of robust running back, I think.
1: Starting three running backs, opening three. Yeah, that's not that. I mean, you just build your starting roster, running back first. Like running back one, running back two, flex, get running back, and then you pivot because by the time round four rolls around, you're probably gonna want to get a, a wide receiver, right? Because some of the wide receivers that are available in round four are pretty enticing. AJ okay, Brown so I think- falling into round four. It's hard to talk yourself into AJ Brown over what, Devin Singletary? Come on, man. So There's wait, only one uh- guy in the middle rounds that I want. There's only one running back I want in the middle rounds. There's one guy. DeAndre Swift. That is it. That is it. Because the reason why robust running back is so attractive is because Running back talent is at an all-time high in the NFL. Maybe you could argue in the 80s, but in the last 20 years, running back talent is at a, like, think about it. DeAndre Swift is an afterthought right now. A lot of people have him as the number five running back in this class. DeAndre Swift, if he were transported in a time machine back five years, he'd be the second best running back in the NFL behind Le'Veon Bell. That's how far the NFL has come now. That's why so many more bell cows in, in, in exist because fewer coaches have to deploy specialist backfields. When you're the Patriots and you have LeGarrett Blunt and James White, you have no choice. You have to deploy a specialist backfield. But now Detroit says, well, We have a DeAndre Swift. This is a competitive advantage. Now defenses. Can't figure out what we're gonna do. We're not telegraphing our plays by having LaGarrett Blunt back there. No offensive coordinator wants a specialist backfield. They would ideally love to have a Miles Sanders or a DeAndre Swift or a Cam Akers that they know is gonna win in all phases. There's just a lot more of those guys now than there were five years ago, which is why you're seeing the ceiling pushed up on running back. You could have we could have five running backs score twenty five fantasy points a game this year.
0: Okay. Let me, let me come in here like three things. Cause you uh, kind of meandered your way. Uh, one AJ green. I agree. Totally. Thumbs up. Uh, and and, and We talked about this before. I think given that you can get him in that wide receiver 30 ish range, I think he belongs a little bit more in the, you know, like mid range wide receiver two in terms of like a median projection for him. So I think he provides value there. Uh, secondly, I agree that uh, a robust uh running back approach is fine if you're just in like philosophically, like the first three rounds, if you go running back, running back, running back, I feel like that qualifies as robust RB. Just sort of like the semantics of it. Uh number three, your DeAndre Swift take is horrible. Uh it absolutely sucks. <laughs> it's not as if Swift has He's incredible. No chance you don't know how all. good he is? He's no, he's a good talent. I had him as the number one back in the class before the draft. He was the number one running back in Devi for years. Yeah, he's yeah, he's the, with a team that I don't and know. Now he's an afterthought. No, no, no one cares. No one cares
1: him. about DeAndre Swift. I I don't want him this year. He might be good long term. Why not? You're worried about not like, Johnson. Take... Talk about a guy that's washed before age twenty-five. Karrion Johnson's terrible. In fact, you know, RotoViz should be held accountable for for touting Karrion Johnson. What? As a guy... Kerry Johnson as an ideal zero RB back? No. You think he's a bridge to whatever back you're going to get on waivers? He's not a bridge. He's a zero. If you're Matt Patricia and you have DeAndre Swift, you're not going to give the ball to players not named DeAndre Swift out of the backfield.
0: I mean, you might. Patricia's no rocket scientist. They drafted him in the (laughs) top 35 picks. But anyway... That that that's fine, but that doesn't it would, mean it would that they're be like actually saying going DeAndre
1: Washington up. is a major threat to Clyde Edwards Solaire's touches in week one. Is he's not. I mean he was they were drafted it's within three picks bit, of one another. It's a
0: little bit different. They were well, drafted yeah, within that's three not, picks
1: of one another, and it's DeAndre a Swift bit is and carry better.
0: Carrion Johnson is still with his original team. He was drafted with the 2nd pick, not but he's a, a fourth total or a fifth bust. Round
1: pick. He's a total bust. You got to mark a guy as a bust and move on. It's like with Philip Lindsay. If Philip Lindsay was the answer, they wouldn't have signed Melvin Gordon.
0: Okay, I I get what you're saying, but that's that's an entirely different situation. I really think it's possible that Johnson gets more of the workload than we expect, enough of the workload to make D'Andre Swift not an enticing option as the running back, I don't know, 24 or whatever. He's very enticing. Like, I there. would, I would much rather wait and take some other guys after Swift. We like, know Akers? the Detroit
1: offense is going to be or exceed expectations. Like one of the, my favorite best ball GPP stacks is Stafford with Galladay, Jones, Hawkinson, Swift. Right, you want a quad stack. A t- it's one of the most attainable quad stacks on underdog if you're doing their million-dollar best ball tournament. Why? I think that every smart person whatever. I've talked to thinks that the Lions are going to exceed expectations, that this is going to be a productive offense. Well, if it's going to be a productive offense yeah. and you have a running back that has the all-purpose skill set of a DeAndre Swift... When he's available to you to not draft him, it's a, it's a crime.
0: <laughs> it's all about usage. You, you cannot predict that Swift will get all of that usage. Like, we hope he will. He probably should. But that doesn't
1: mean that he actually will. I'm looking for the guy that can go out and get 20 fantasy points a game. And there's no one else in the middle rounds that comes anywhere close to that. DeAndre Swift's the only guy that you could conceive of it. That's not true at all.
0: That's absolutely not true. Who? who, who, who? You think Raheem Mostert's gonna get you there, buddy? Wait, let me throw another okay, name two, out there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Two things. Devin Singletary? He could. Really? No. You think so? Okay, two things. One, one, if if Mostert, it's not like I'm a stand for Mostert because I have zero Mostert exposure. Because he, he has way too much downside risk. But if Mostert actually did get the starting job, he could crush. But Mostert isn't the guy really. No, I don't think it's he's going to crush. The reason it's, I don't like Mostert is not because of easily his... easily Cam makers.
1: I'm not fading Mostert because of his low floor. I'm fading Mostert because of his very much capped ceiling as a, a situational special teamer of his entire career outside a handful of games last year. That's why... Okay, I, I think it's a similar way of looking
0: at it, but just expressing it differently. But Akers is the guy. That's, no, that's no the one Akers has
1: on. a lower ceiling as well because he's on the Rams, one of on the worst run-blocking offensive lines, and a team that's going to have to throw the ball with Jared Goff. This is going to be an inefficient offense with no running lanes whatsoever. The upside just isn't there. I'm chasing running backs with upside. My first running back on my bench, that's going to be Swift. It's going to be max upside and that has to be Swift because there's nothing in the range of outcomes that says magically the Rams are not going to have one of the worst run blocking units that magically this offense is going to be you know efficient after being the least efficient so I hate the situation for Acres I love Acres the talent I think he's right there with Swift but the Rams are a far inferior place to score fantasy points, especially as a running back than a place like Detroit that actually has an improving offensive line.
0: I actually, I don't know if I accept that. Like I, I get the concerns about the offensive line and the but schedule. are still talking top-
1: have the worst run game schedule the- in the entire league by a wide margin. Have you looked at the schedule? Yeah. People, people talk
0: about schedules and then by week 5 All of our assumptions about the schedules are
1: blown to hell. I only care about the schedules on the outer edges. The worst five schedules and the best five schedules get my attention. And when it's the Rams and you have by far and away the most difficult schedule, at that point I have to factor it in. Because it's not like they're going against just straight-up tough defenses. Like just in the first seven weeks, they've got the Bears, they've got the 49ers, they've got the Bills, they're at the Eagles, but then the other problem is that they're at the Cowboys and they're going to be facing all that negative game script. They're going to be down multiple scores in the second half against the Cowboys. It's not like acres is going to be running in the second half in that game. You just can't build a case for him, especially in a traditional seasonal league. He'd be a guy that you trade for after a few weeks, when the schedule softens up a little bit, but then it really doesn't soften up because then what happens? They go at the Buccaneers that had the toughest run game defense in the league last year. And then the 49ers again, it just, it's, it's and and, and the insult. This is the ultimate insult. Okay. This is the insult of all for the Rams is that they do get to face the Cardinals twice. The problem is one of those games is week 17.
0: Okay. Let's, Let's settle this the old-fashioned way. You get DeAndre Swift. Yes. I get Cam Akers. Yes. What what scoring setting do you want? You want half PPR? <laughs> Whatever. Do you want PPR? Sure. Like like PPR PPR favors you. I'll take PPR clearly, with PPR, DeAndre PPR's Swift. Plays. Let's do half. Let's do half PPR. You doing half PPR? Most fantasy points per we'll game. Go,
1: we'll go half PPR.
0: Half PPR most fantasy points per game. Swift versus Akers. I have Akers. Boom. Okay.
2: Boom. Boom. Nice agreement there. All right. Um, who is the titan that breaks out this Whoa, year? Or what are the
0: stakes? That... Oh. Well, I mean, let's talk about this off air.
1: Why not? Friedman's, Why Friedman's I, response to I get everything to, is I get to, just to place ta- a do I get to take over your Twitter account for a day. <laughs> no, that's absolutely. <laughs> Why not? not? Right. You can take over mine.
0: I don't care to take over. I'm more. the CEO. <laughs> that, that means of I would have to a, do actual a high-profile <laughs> sports media organization. <laughs> Why would I want to take over? You could your change Twitter the account? avatar.
1: Mean, you could put a mustache on the werewolf.
0: You could have a lot of fun. Oh, you mean I could spend time doing something that I don't want to do? Like that sounds horrible. I feel like I would be getting punished multiple ways. Let's, I mean, let's, uh, you know, we can put some money on it. We can, can want to put money on it. I want it to be
1: cheeky and fun. Cheeky and money fun. makes it when worse, bro. Come on. Okay. We'll
0: come. This, this is what I'm saying. Let's talk off air. We'll come up with something instead of giving people like a minute and a half of bad podcast. How about this? Yeah. We All have right. to do a so, podcast
1: shirtless.
2: Are you just trying to get him to take his shirt off? Like, what? what is that bet? No, I,
1: neither one of us want to be shirtless. We're both... I'm a very hairy individual. This is not a good thing for me. I'm just saying that that would be cheeky and fun. This is going in okay. an
2: entirely different direction than I And thought. then it would also... Do, if it, if we were trending in the wrong shirtless. direction, it
0: would motivate <laughs> what, what us to I work care? out more. Yeah, I'll do a podcast shirtless. I don't care. There we go. See? Love
1: it. All right. Um If See, only this is why we one... need to work this out on air, Matt. All right. The people um, love us talking about being shirtless. Right. Well, all right. So, uh if
2: I told you that only one tight end was going to break out this year, who is the player that you would think it was?
1: TJ Hawkinson. No doubt. Uh, no th- hesitation. That's not
0: horrible. That's not horrible.
1: No hesitation. Because he's arguably already one of the top three most talented tight ends in the league. Just out of the box. Like, if you were to order, like I ordered my coffee beans to order, if you ordered with some 3D printing, uh, you know, particle acceleration chamber, and say, I'm ordering a tight end that's going to go out and be the next Kelsey Kittle, I want a guy that's going to break into that tier... You would pick a guy with 90th percentile burst, 90th percentile agility, a complete monster producer at the college level, someone that even supplanted another monster producer with, who was a monster athlete, like a Noah Fant, right? So you'd line it all up, and then you'd say, well, well, it's also important that the NFL recognizes this and drafts him in the top 10. Like you'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Like That, that player doesn't exist. Like you're ma- this is a fantasy. Yes, I understand if you could push all the dials and all the buttons and all the levers that this tight end would be created in your lab. Great job, but he's not a real person. Guess what? He is real, boys. He's real. His name's TJ Hawkinson.
0: Okay, that's not a that's not a bad take. Uh I don't disagree at all with the talent that Hawkinson has. It's evident. Uh I think Part of the issue for him, especially for this year, would just be target competition. But uh he certainly has the upside of finishing as a top five producer this year. No, no question about that. Marvin Jones, in a hamstring. Different direction. Fair enough. I'm going a different direction, and uh, I'm actually going with Fant, uh,
1: the, the guy you mentioned as uh, the oh, person. I'm so who glad that I picked the guy Iowa. that you know zoinked him in college. I'm so glad.
0: Uh, nice choice of the word zoint, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to challenge that just a little bit because it's not as if Noah Fant was bad. His final season in college, he was actually still pretty decent. Right? No, no, but, was, uh, he was.
1: He was usurped
0: in a very noble fashion. I would say that they uh, ruled as joint monarchs as, appo- as opposed to he was uh, usurped. That's the way I would I would look at the situation they had there. But anyway, bringing it back a little bit more to Fant in this season, uh, I think people are too low on that Denver offense as a whole. I, I think they are looking at what happened last year uh, under a totally different offensive coordinator uh, with – different quarterback play for the super majority of the season. And they're assuming that that's what we're going to see this this year. But Pat Shermer has had offenses that play much faster than what we saw last year under Rich Scangarello. Uh, And he's done that the past four years with four different quarterbacks. So it's not as if this is like, oh, we don't know if Locke is going to be able to catch the offense. Like even if Locke isn't as good as we want him to be, I still think that offense is going to be much faster than what we saw last year. So more plays and uh, in Pat Shermer's offenses, we have seen much more passing than what we saw last year out of Scangarello's offense. So I'm thinking we have an offense that has more plays, that has more passing, when we get more targets in general for that entire offense. And I think Fant steps up from having, let's say, like a 14% target share to maybe an 18% target share. And we know how explosive he is. He has that athleticism that is something like George Kittle. He doesn't have the blocking that Kittle has, but he matches Kittle as a raw athlete. And we know last year that he was efficient, on a a per-opportunity basis. So Fant, to me, because of his skill set, because of his opportunities increasing, and because that offense as a whole is going to take a step forward, Fant, to me, feels like the guy who has a real chance of jumping into the top five. Can I just
1: give you one box score from last year? How about week one, when the rookies last year had the bare minimum amount of reps they just had training camp and preseason but this is this is day 1 in the NFL like remember that, remember i talked about the, the particle acceleration chamber you know how i'm pushing all the levers right we're creating the perfect NFL tight end you would assume that i we, we didn't talk about nf you know instincts on a football field right that he can play at the NFL level and can handle himself against NFL linebackers and safeties right you that's also in the 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 mix the recipe that we i created so, let's drop this guy in week 1. Okay? 9 targets, 6 receptions, 131 receiving yards and a touchdown, 25.1 fantasy points. That was TJ Hawkinson week 1. It was against Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should make sure I say that. But also, I, Cortland Sutton is a guy you want, and just another reason to go Robust RB, because you can get Cortland Sutton as your WR2 in the fifth round, and in best ball tournaments, I like to stack one good quarterback with one bad quarterback, because the bad quarterbacks are so much easier to stack with, and I love Sutton with Fant and Locke, and then you can throw in Hamler at the end.
0: I agree with that. I absolutely love that.
2: Um, see, all right. So, Jerry Judy, rookie wide receiver for mm. the Broncos. Mm. Did you prefer him, mm. or currently, do you prefer him over CeeDee Lamb? What?
1: They're not in the same conversation.
2: Now, Judy was Matt, uh, or was Friedman's number one overall rookie wide receiver. I believe he still is. Is that
1: correct, Matt?
0: Yeah. I can't. Manchin, am I wrong? Do you think I'm
1: wrong or you agree? You, you, Lamb is your number one or, or Judy? I have Judy. Oh, but but you're biased in favor of Alabama players. We have the Breakout Finder app. It looks <laughs> at all the metrics on on wide receivers. Everything from teammate score to level of competition, dynamic score. And Jerry Judy is not in the top five. Uh, and CeeDee Lamb is number 1, and he's one of the top 10 best receiving prospects of all time. So if you want to talk about other receivers not named CeeDee Lamb, we can have a conversation. But CeeDee is on another level. Thankfully, Matt Friedman has these dual biases where he's both an Alabama fan and a Cowboys fan. So he gets to benefit <laughs> from the Cowboys fandom that they did get a gift in CeeDee Lamb. The fact, The fact that the Atlanta Falcons passed on CeeDee Lamb is a travesty and paves the way for a completely gross receiver in Calvin Ridley to to vastly exceed what a player of his talent profile should rightfully produce in fantasy football. All they had to do was take the best player available and a player that's going to be a player of need in a couple years when Julio Jones retires, get... CeeDee Lamb, can you imagine this Falcons offense with CeeDee Lamb? Can you imagine? That would push Ridley to the slot. It would just be perfect talent configuration. It would be one of the best offenses we've ever seen. And instead, they drafted a cornerback with a second-round pedigree. It should be a—I mean, Dimitrioff is one of the worst general managers in the history of the league.
2: So wait though, I right, I I, well, I want to go back to one thing quickly here. I actually do prefer Lamb, but I'm curious when you're talking about the breakout finder, and you know Jerry Judy's performance in that paling in comparison to Lamb's. Do you think though that there's a problem in trying to model a player like Judy whose freshman year is played at a loaded in a loaded receiving core like Alabama's? Because I would assume that that early production is a pretty significant input, and that's hard
1: to control for in this case. Yeah, well we have teammate scores, so it's somehow it somewhat balances it out. It can't fully yeah. understand. Like a, a machine's not gonna fully understand just how good the receivers in particular that he was competing for targets against, because we know Devonta Smith is great. I mean, it's it's tricky. It's tricky, but yeah. a guy like Jerry Judy is more like players like Jeremy Macklin. I, I like players like that. Right? I, I like players like a Jeremy Macklin they're productive, but they're not at a level of special where you get aroused, right? It's just not like, it's the same thing with Calvin Ridley, like the, the film grinders just salivating over the, the route running, but route running isn't even the most important trait. It's just one of a ton of traits, right? Like Cortland Sutton coming out of SMU was criticized widely for his hand position. Oh, Matt Waldman hit at his hand position. And the the routes were sloppy. But guess what? You know what matters <laughs> with Cortland Sutton? That he's 6'3", 215. And, and that he has a 90th percentile speed score. And that he was dominant at the college level. That he was able to translate his athletic gifts into on-field production during his entire time at SMU. And that Ended up translating into the NFL with contested catches. On essentially, he's, he's one of these few guys who's able to reel in essentially uncatchable passes for touchdowns. He's so special. It's just the difference between a Ridley and a Sutton is just so stark. And yet, the, the film grinders will have a guy like Ridley always rated ahead of a guy like Sutton. And it provides me with an unlimited amount of off-season content.
0: I'm thrilled that you mentioned C.D. Lamb and compared him to Sutton. And that you made the Ridley to Judy comparison. Because I do think that Ridley and Judy are fairly comparable. The problem is that Lamb is in no way comparable to Cortland Sutton. Except for his style of play. You look at Lamb and he feels like the kind of guy who should be 6'3", 215. The fact is, he is a Tyler Boyd-esque 6'2", and 198 pounds. I am not so sure, although I like Lamb, I am not so sure that his style of bully boy play actually translates to the NFL when he's 198 pounds. I would like to see him try to do that, against NFL receivers. Sorry, against NFL cornerbacks. That's not to say that he can't do it. I think Lamb will actually have success in the NFL. I just feel much more comfortable about Judy transitioning his game to the NFL than Lamb
1: transitioning his. On playerprofiler.com, only one wide receiver compares to Jerry Rice. Looking at body body type athleticism college production only one receiver is best comparable to jerry rice and his name this is such bullshit i dude, understand I'm gonna on i understand this. this is the crescendo is, of the show is such i'm about bullshit. to give you guys the perfect out on the show and you just interrupted it it is I such interrupted bullshit this entire show matthew and i was giving you the perfect crescendo and you fucking ruined it. CD <laughs> Lamb is Jerry Rice. There you go.
0: I think it's better this way. This I, I prefer just, this ending this to the show. Just a, to, to be honest,
1: this is shameful.
0: It's it is it's is not. You cannot <laughs> I mean, compare. It, <laughs> you you cannot compare CD Lamb with his six one hundred and ninety-eight pound frame to Jerry Rice with his comparable frame, based on the fact that. Like they're thirty years separated. The league is entirely different now. Michael Irvin is no longer a big NFL receiver, although he was a monster NFL receiver when he entered the league. Like it is just not comparable. Didn't
2: Rice go to Mississippi State, uh, like Mississippi Valley State? So how do you even do a comparison there with the college production? Also, didn't he run like a four seven? If that forty time even means anything.
0: I think Rice ran a four or five, why, but why why we are you really guys why, sure. why are
1: you guys doing this? You know CeeDee Lamb's gonna be good. Just chill, guys. Oh, is that is that how it works? I mean, I just I don't know what to tell is you. That I mean how, the is that guy is a freshman. Thing works? He goes out there and puts up 800 yards as a freshman, one of the most impressive freshman seasons of any of the prospects in this class. Then he puts up a completely dominant sophomore season at age nineteen. The guy's been prolific. It to, you know just one of the most dominant uh, age-adjusted producers we've seen in many years. You know, on a per catch basis, the guy's putting up like twenty one yards a catch. He's completely dominant with a spread offense at Oklahoma. A thirty eight percent dominator rating is hard to do with that many receivers out there, and. Athleticism matters for wide receivers, but it's not as predictive as with running backs. So to me, I'm looking at the production, and that's all I care about. Also, what was cool about CeeDee Lamb was even in his final year at Oklahoma, he was playing on special teams. Like I just think certain guys are great football players like Jerry Rice and CeeDee Lamb. Look, it's I'm not gonna fight you too much on Lamb
0: because I I think he and Judy are really close and I'm thrilled the Cowboys got him in the first round. I have him as a a top five guy in in rookie dynasty. Like you have him as a top
1: five guy. Like, well, no, 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 because a lot of people would. Who do you have ahead of him? Chanel and Rager
0: and Jefferson and Judy. No, 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 no top, no top five among all rookies. Oh, oh, I don't even so have him that, that, that high. That includes running
1: backs. Oh, I don't have him that high.
0: That's what, that's what I'm oh, saying. You have them higher than like, I do. That's what I'm saying. I'm high on lamb, but I'm also high on Judy. I'm high on wide receivers in general relative to running backs. But I, I mean, I think, I think Judy is just a little more projectable for me to the NFL than CD lamb. Although like, I think lamb will have success. Like I, I think it will happen. It's just, I don't know if it will happen in the exact way that people think it will, I don't think it's going to be like him, Cortland Suttoning guys just by sheer physical dominance. I don't know if he has that.
1: I don't know exactly what he's going to look like in the NFL. He might look closer to like a Reggie Wayne. It, it, it could be. It could be that that we're looking back on this year and that he's actually not a prototypical alpha in the league. Because he is six two one ninety eight, I think, I think Wayne I is think a good that comp. That's very possible. I think it's very possible. But on that team, Amari Cooper's not going to be there more than a couple years with his contract, his bloated contract. They're going to cut him in a couple years or trade him. And then Michael Gallup's going to be up for an extension in a couple years. So you could see by year three, CeeDee Lamb as the entrenched number one and really the the peanut butter to Dak Prescott's jelly. Uh, I like that. Don't you like peak like absolute prime peak prime Dak Prescott throwing to a third-year CD Lamb going for, you know, 110 receptions and 1300 yards and nine touchdowns? Doesn't that sound exciting to you? I don't think Jerry Judy's ever going to do that.
0: I'm just going to say it's hard for the Cowboys because they're going to have to cut
1: Amari Cooper after he's a top five fantasy receiver this year. He is going to be good, yeah. Amari Cooper is going to be good, folks. And the reason why is because he's been spending time at Dak Prescott's house because Dak Prescott, hello, built a football field at his house. Talk about a great football player. I can't believe the Dallas Cowboys are backing in to such a great team. They didn't even have an intention of drafting Dak Prescott. And they just fell into Prescott. They didn't even think they could get CeeDee Lamb. They just fell into CeeDee Lamb. This is unbelievable. Now they have a quarterback building a field at his house. Fuck the Cowboys, man. This is it, They don't deserve it. They don't even work hard. The, the front office is closed the entire offseason. Jerry and his son are on a yacht. You just You try to get a hold of anyone in the Cowboys organization, it goes to voicemail. And this is, is they the most talented roster. Oh,
0: it's well, gross. I mean, the Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl. That's that's the bottom line. Here. They're All so right, well, good.
1: The Cowboys are so good and it kills me. I think
2: that means on that note, we can close things down here today. But we do appreciate the podfather coming back on to the roto airwaves. I appreciate Matt putting up with him. Um, and thank you to everybody that sent in questions as I should have known, this was just going to go off the rails and they would not have been needed. Any closing words or actually uh, mansion. Why don't you tell people, uh, you know, like what you guys have going on over at player, player profile, uh,
0: uh player, player profile, uh,
1: now is draft seasons. So you need the draft kit, fantasy dash draft, com. fantasy dash draft, com. everything I laid out. In terms of optimizing your draft is right there on the cheat sheet. Uh, we, we're talking about the, the team previews. Hey, how did you know all that about the Rams and their schedule? Well, it's all in the draft kit. Hello, so get it fantasy-draftkit.com. And I'm waiting, and we will wait. You know, patiently, this entire audience will wait for Rotoviz to post its official apology for touting Kerry and Johnson this year
0: such such bullshit uh mansion i want to get before we say goodbye to you i want to get your quick thoughts on uh the season i've been optimistic this whole time uh that we will in fact have a season oh yes my questions have been you know like does it start on time is there a work stoppage uh do we have situations uh where in week 12 uh, it looks like an exhibition game because we have two COVID stricken teams playing each other. And now a whole bunch of backups are out there. Uh, do we get the full 16 games? Those are more of my concerns. I've been steadfast for months that we're going to get a season.
1: Where are you on this? Oh, it's it's going to happen. There's a lot of money at stake, man. <laughs> I mean, This is too much money. So it's going to happen. We're going to get the full slate of games. There's going to be some weird games. I mean, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be weird games. There's going to be some quarterbacks that that get COVID, right? So whenever you have quarterbacks getting COVID, it's going to be weird, right? Drew Locke might get COVID because he's at a protest or something, and then it's Jeff Driscoll season, and he's running around for 60 yards a game, winning people, GPPs on DraftKings, right? Throwing it up to Courtland Sutton, (laughs) stacking it up, Jeff Driscoll to Sutton all day. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. (laughs) But, you know, I've been pretty confident that we're going to have a season uh, because the NFL is just motoring along. And then we we had the great test. We had the great test of would this outbreak in the Marlins organization stop the baseball season? And when the baseball season continued in spite of a full-blown team outbreak, I thought, oh, man, we're, we're definitely having a football season if that's the case.
2: Yeah, agree. Plus two now with college not being around, that gives them the opportunity to make up any you know other lost revenue that you might have as well. Not make it all up, but you can offset some of that too by moving the television, you know, right to Saturday and whatnot. So it's looking good. All right, sounds like we've got your final uh, statements, and uh, we can close things down. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action. The NBA playoffs are coming up, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on—all available 24/7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ. Robert Ori, see what they had to say about what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up to date sports news. Remember to use promo code BlueWire to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BlueWire. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.